Thanks, Michael. It's great to have the word read well. Now, one of the highlights, I think, of each time we gather together is when we open up God's word and we hear God himself speak in that. Uh, And so why don't you leave God's word open there if you've got your Bible with you or your phone or whatever it is. There'll be verses on the screen. Uh, Pull out your outline because there's there's really two things I want us to come away from today to understand. And I'm going to say them up front. So then you can think through them as we go through this whole passage. My aim today is to show you two things that are impossible. There you go. Two things that are impossible. Number one, it is impossible for God to reveal more of Himself than He has already done. It is impossible for God to reveal more of Himself than He has already done. And number two, the second impossibility, it's impossible to ignore or diminish or reduce or reject what this passage says and escape hell. It's impossible to ignore or diminish, reduce or reject what this passage says and escape hell. They're big statements. This book of Hebrews is a, is a big book. It looks at key theological ideas. But what I love about it is it doesn't stay in the clouds It shows you the implications. It shows you that understanding these ideas is the core of life. And living in response to them is what we are about as Christians, as people, as humans. So why don't we pray together now that as we've heard God's Word read, and by His Spirit, He would show us what He has to say to us, and we would go away tonight changed because of Him. Let's pray. Lord, as we sit here together tonight, as we hear your words spoken through the author of Hebrews, as we reflect on how you've acted in history and and what you have done and how that involves us, we ask that by your Spirit, you would show us the incredible sights of a son. You would show us how we, as we reflect on the truths of this passage, need to change and you would show us what a great comfort it is and what a great warning it is to take you seriously. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. The writer starts with these words. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. It's a classic opening, right? It's almost like a movie long ago in a galaxy far, far away, right? You could see it scrolling and what we work out is, as we come to this book of, of Hebrews, it's actually a, a sermon. It's someone kind of speaking to people. And he begins with these words, Long ago, God spoke to the fathers at different times and in different ways. How many of you would like God to speak? Right here, right now. To speak to us in history as, as the Bible claims that He has done in times of old. How many of you would just long for God to speak to you? How many of you, if God did speak to you right now, would follow Him? Would actually do what He says? I'm not just talking about some murmurings in your mind or some feelings in your heart, but if you actually, truly heard God speak, like the unmistakable sound of thunder, God spoke to you. Often, our issue with God is that He just seems so silent. People I talk to kind of say, you know, if God showed up today and if God spoke to me, maybe then I'd believe Him. Is that you? Or maybe 
for you, you've been in just situations in life that are hard and frustrating and you're exhausted or tired or angry and confused. You just don't know what to do and you're like, God, tell me what to do. Please speak to me. Show me a sign. Show me what way I should go. Have you ever found yourself there? Are you there now? You just want God to speak. But we don't know who the author of the book of Hebrews is. But one thing's for sure, he had access to the Old Testament, the Old Testament of the Bible. And he knew the narrative of the people of Israel. He knew who they were and what they had done. And he knew one thing about them, that in the past, before his time, the God of the Hebrews was the God who spoke. He really did speak. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets in different times and in different ways. And the first thing we understand as he summarizes the whole of the Old Testament is that the God of the Bible of this universe is the God who speaks. He reveals himself. Who He actually spoke to people in the past. See, a God who doesn't speak is really a dumb God, Right? Because that's what dumb actually means, someone who is unable to speak. Uh, And a God who doesn't speak, who doesn't reveal himself, is really a dumb God. Why would you follow a God like that? That's what dumb means. So if someone says, man, you said the dumbest thing, be like, you've got no idea what you're talking about. How can you say something that I can't say? Anyway, just think about that. But the author of Hebrews knows that the God of the Bible is the God who has revealed himself who has actually spoken, not just once, not just one message, one little thing, but at different times and in different ways. you just got to open up to the first page of the Bible and you hear, and God said, let there be light, and there was. The speaking action of this God creates the universe. You see a bit later in the book of Exodus that, that Moses comes up to a bush that wasn't burning up but was on fire, and that bush speaks through an angel, and God speaks to him, Moses. God's voice was heard in Exodus 19. All of Israel had come out of the slavery in Egypt and gathered around Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai there, they heard God bellow through, through the fog and mountain and through the storm. They heard God speak to them. They were so afraid. They're like, Moses, stop God from speaking. You go up the mountain and talk to Him. If only we could hear God speak like then. Or it might be the, the still, small voice of Elijah in 1 Kings 9. When Elijah hears this voice of God. These events, they're not isolated events. God kept speaking through the prophets, through priests, through sages, through singers in history. There's one point in Daniel where God speaks through a hand writing on the wall. A real hand. Making his message on the wall. When the Adams family thought thing was like, you know, something new. No, it's there in Daniel 7. If you don't know what the Adams family is, who knows what the Adams family is? That's awesome. Everyone wants to click now, don't you? If you don't know, I'm sorry. Numbers 22, we meet a man named Balaam who will not do what God says. And so God uses his donkey to speak to him. A donkey. He speaks through a donkey. God is the God who spoke. And after summarizing the whole Old Testament in that one verse, this writer of Hebrews then moves on to the present. Look at verse 2. In these last days, He's spoken to us by a son. 
Now, if you're reading along in your Bible, uh, your Bible might say he's spoken to us by his son. Um, his son is, is right, but it's just not what the original says. I'm not saying that to go, oh, the preacher knows what the original is. I hate that, right? I'm, but I'm saying that because the his is just not there. It says he has spoken to us by a son, and you'll see why that's important in a minute. Because what he's saying here is incredibly profound. Before this son turned up, whoever this son is, everything God had ever said from beginning of time through to that point right now was only ever part of what he had to say. But now, God had spoken by a son. Do you notice who he'd spoken to? He'd spoken to us, says the writer of Hebrews. Now, people aren't sure who the writer is, I've said, but we know that the writer is not one of the apostles, because in 2 verse 3, he makes it clear. Look at 2 verse 3 on the screen. It was first spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. The apostles were those who heard Jesus, right? And then they've obviously spoken to this writer of the Hebrews. So, he's like one generation out. He wasn't there, didn't hear exactly what went on, but he's saying that through this Son, whoever this Son is... God has spoken to him and to the receivers of this letter. God has spoken to us. God has spoken to us by a son. There is a son, a man. That's what the um, son of God is kind of getting at here. It's not at the divinity of him. It's at the humanity of him. There is a man, a human, flesh and blood, through whom God has said everything He has to say. He has spoken His final word through this Son. After this Son, there is no additional message, no additional revelation of God, no more to know, nothing else to hear. And when you hear about this Son, you'll see that it is impossible for God to reveal more of Himself than He has already done in this Son. The first hint we have of this, that there is no more to reveal, is the time that the author says that he is writing in. You know how a date system is is kind of based around AD and uh, BC, before Christ and after Christ, right? No, uh, uh, AD is not after Christ, it's not BC and AC, it's AD, which is Adno Domini, and for those who know Latin, which isn't me, uh, it means in the year of our Lord. Our date system is saying that we are in the year of our Lord, still, we are still in that year. <laughs> Here, the writer of Hebrews is saying that God has spoken through this Son in the last days. There's something so final about this Son that He brings the conclusion of history, the, the epilogue of time has come upon us because of the coming of this One who is a Son. Now again, before we get ahead of ourselves, some of us are going, yeah, yeah, I know who this Son is, I've got an idea, right? But just put on hold for a second any divine thoughts of who He is. The readers, as they would have heard this, would have been hearing a human, someone who might be a king, uh, someone who is special. I want us to understand that it's a human who is on view. There is some human who is coming who will speak in such a way that it concludes everything that God has ever been saying. Sorry, there was something I was going to say, and it's just disappeared off my page. But I'll say it anyway. Um, just make it up. No, I'm just joking. 
Um, the key thing to note with how God spoke in the past that is different from how He has spoken now is those words, um, in the past God has spoken at different times and in different ways. Uh, different times there is actually saying uh, in different pieces. It's, it's, it's fragmentary. They're kind of broken up. He's not saying that He's, he's spoken um, fully each time. He's saying that He's spoken in part, like pieces of a puzzle. Throughout time, God had spoke in, in, in the Old Testament, had spoken in the Old Testament in, in different little points. And, and they were never the full picture. They were always true, but not the fullness of that picture. And so now what he's saying is that God has come together and shown us the fullness of this picture. So who is this man? Who is this son who has spoken and the eternity and fullness of all God has to say to us is completed in him? Well, we meet him in verse 2. And I want you to sit back and look at how the author of Hebrews writes about him. Listen to what he has to say about this son. Verse 2, God has appointed him heir of all things. And to be heir of all things, to be an heir is to be the one who will inherit, the one who will control, the one who will rule, the, the next ruler of whatever that the, the person before them kind of was over. And here we see he will be the heir of all things. Not just some family or, or some kind of city or some country or some planet, the heir of everything, of all people, all place, all time, everything that is a human will be the heir of everything that is. God has appointed him heir of all things. And then number two, he has made the universe through him. Not only is the, he the heir, but through this son, through this human, God made everything that exists. In this human son, you meet your maker. It's a phenomenal picture of whoever this person is. Look at, look at um, verse 3. The Son is the radiance of God's glory. Glory is a kind of hard word to get our heads around. Uh, it's kind of like the, the brightness, the fullness, the amazingness of who God is. He's the radiance of radiance. It's kind of that kind of idea. That as you see this Son, you actually see the full brilliance and brightness and majestic glory and splendor of God Himself. If you were to see Him, you would be like a moth to light. I use this illustration often, but have you ever seen a moth fly towards light? It's like nothing else in the world exists. You could be like, have one of those swatters that are electric. It doesn't care. It's like, I see the light. It just keeps going because it's so captured by the brightness that it can't see anything else. In this sun, we see the radiance of God himself. Verse 3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. The exact expression of his nature now, that word nature is, is literally, as you kind of bring it, it, it's character. As you meet this son, you meet the character of God, the exact expression of God. You meet God. He is the character of God. He's not just like him. He has his entire character. To see the son 
is to see the Father. To see what the Son is like is to see what the Father is like in the way He acts, in the way He speaks, in His heart, in the way He is. (laughs) This is phenomenal for a human to be this way, isn't it? And there's no wonder that when you see the heights to which the writer of Hebrews describes this Son, you start to understand why we don't need any more of God's revelation to us. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact expression of His nature. He's the heir of all things. He's the one who has made everything. But that's not enough. The writer of Hebrews is like, okay, that's still not all of who this guy is. Uh, look, at the, look at the next part of verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of His nature, sustaining all things through His powerful Word. Words are powerful. You know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. This is a lie. <laughs> right? Words can hurt Words can do great good. Words can be generous and loving. Here, the words of this Son sustain the universe. That's phenomenal power, isn't it? My words, I chat to my kids. I talk to them and I say, hey guys, can you stop doing that? And they just don't even listen. They just keep going. They keep, you know, doing whatever thing they were doing beforehand. I'm like, guys, you yell at them. You know, my word is so powerful that my kids listen to me one times out of ten. <laughs> Are they getting better? <laughs> I'm getting better. This son, through his word, means that you can take your next breath and your heart will take its next beat. Everything that is happening in this world is coming towards his purpose. There is not someone who has set the world in place and standing back to see what happens. Oh, will it work out okay? He is currently, presently sustaining everything, bringing it to his purpose, his conclusion for his plans. Have you ever met anyone so powerful as that, a human? The claim here is there is a human who is currently sustaining the universe by His Word. And then the writer says, after making purification for sins, as if it were a side note. So what happened here? This son made purification for sin. Sin is rejecting our back. Sorry, rejecting God, turning our back on Him. Saying to God, I I don't want you in my life. I don't want to live with you as my king. And there's a right punishment that needs to come from saying that to the one who made you. (laughs) But this human son has provided purification for sins, forgiveness. In the Old Testament, that was the role of the priest who would come... um, before God at the temple and would offer sacrifices uh, to God on behalf of the people to say, God, please forgive these people. Pour out the death that we deserve on this sheep or bull or goat or pigeon and and look at us in a generous way, in a merciful way, not giving us what we deserve, but recognizing that you've poured it out on someone else. And here, what the author of Hebrews is saying is that This son has done something that has never been done before. He has made purification for sins once for all. He has come in and not had to offer it month by month, festival by festival, year by year. He has done it once. No more is needed. Not heard of this before. This is an amazing 
reality, not just because it only happens once, but because you can walk into the presence of God because He has provided a way for your sins to be blotted out and for God to not treat you as you deserve because He has taken that on Himself. It results in access to the presence of God directly. This Son has died in our place and offered us life and forgiveness. Verse 3, after making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is the Lord, point seven. He is the ruler. He is the king of the universe. That's what that, that part is saying. There is no part of the universe that He is not over. God has put Him at His right hand on the throne of God. The Lord's right hand, it's this position of favor and victory and power. To be at the right hand of God is to be the one who enacts His plans and the one who is in control. And literally what we're seeing here is that this human being shares the throne with God, shares the throne of all eternity, shares that position of ruler of the universe. And he sits down. It's done. He has done his job. What he came to do is done. And that's the kind of picture, sitting down. It's, it's what you do when you finish your work for the day, right? I was doing some gardening yesterday and in, in the yard, kind of cleaning up and came back in from doing that sort of stuff. And you sit down and you're like, Phew, it's finished, right? I'm, I'm done for the day. I'm ready to have dinner, hang out, you know, sit back. Uh, problem is with gardening, in the next day you get up, there's more weeds. I don't know, I don't, I don't know why people like gardening. I think gardening is a, result, is a result of the fall because there weren't weeds beforehand and now there are. And so anyone who, who likes gardening, I think you're twisted. Um, <laughs> just keep coming back up. Like, what do you, what, I don't get it. I mean, explain it to me later. <laughs> but Jesus, when he died on a cross 2,000 years ago, when he was pinned there and he is about to breathe his last breath, he cries out three words It is finished. He dies in our place, offering the purification for our sin. God, three days later, raises him from the dead and exalts him, puts him on the throne of God himself to be the king, the Lord, the ruler of all eternity. And Jesus sits down. His work is done. He has revealed God to us. In Him, you meet God. Now, after those facts, you kind of stand back and think, this is amazing. Who, who is this, this man? And you see Jesus and, and, and you're like, what has He done here? And then it kind of ends in verse 4. And we're going to move a bit quicker in a second, so don't be freaked out. Whoa, we're going to spend this long going through the whole lot? Maybe. Maybe. Uh, it ends with what I think is a weird statement. Have a look at verse 4. So he became higher in rank than the angels, just as the name he inherited is superior to theirs. Now, at that moment, I'm like, what angels? There's this weird bit in the first two chapters of Hebrews that he's talking about the angels all the time. You're like, 
man, why, what are all these angels doing everywhere? Why are you talking about angels all the time? You don't hear angels come up very often. Throughout the Bible, the idea of angels, they kind of come up at key times, God is revealing Himself to people. The word angel just means messenger, one who is sent. But here, I think he's talking about uh, a heavenly being. What do you think of when you think of an angel? What image comes to mind for you? For me, the first thing that comes in my head is someone who's wearing their mum's kind of dressing gown, kind of walking around in some white robe with wings on their back, and they've kind of got all, you know, some perfect complexion, and there's like a, a halo hovering about their head, and they've got a harp in their pocket that fits in their mum's dressing gown somehow, and they're kind of playing the harp. It's kind of the, the picture that we get. Although, when you meet them in the Bible, everyone's very clear when they meet an angel that there's one reaction. Do you know what that is? Fear. When people see an angel, they're afraid. And the reality is, there is a spiritual realm. There is a realm of these angelic beings that is there that we don't often think through, we don't often think about. But why it's important to understand is that each time God has revealed Himself, there's been angels involved. Not every time, but a lot. You know, at, at the burning bush, and when Moses in, in, in um, Exodus 3, we see that God spoke to him through an angel. God spoke through this messenger. Uh, we even hear in Galatians 3.19, write it down, check it out later, Galatians 3.19, that when Moses was on Mount Sinai and, and God was giving him the Ten Commandments, it was actually mediated, it came through an angel. God had been speaking through angels. And then we hear in verse 4 that this son has become higher in rank than the angels. There's some comparison going on. And it raises two questions. Number one, how can a human being be superior to an angel? How is that possible? <laughs> well, it's possible because this son, in his death and resurrection, has done something that no angel could ever do. He has made purification for sins on behalf of humanity. He has come to save humanity. And that was never the role of the angel. The second question that it raises is, well, if this son is actually God, if we realize that all things were created through him and he sustains the universe, if this son is God himself, then isn't it obvious that he's superior to angels? Why do we kind of need to look at that? And that kind of helps us to understand a bit of a technical idea about this title to be the Son of God. To be called the Son of God is to be a great one of God, a leader of God. The kings were called sons of God. Uh, and we see that God's people were led by those who were His Son. David was one who was after God's own heart. And we see that God would send, the promise throughout the Old Testament is that God would send someone, a son, in the line of David who would rule forever. He would be the king, the, the perfect king forever. To be the son of God was to be God's ruler, was to be the Lord, the Christ, the king. And so, God the son was not the son of God until he died and rose again and was seated on the throne. Let me say it again. God the son, who had existed forever, was not the son of God until God raised him and put him on that throne to be 
having that authority and rule as the Messiah, as the King. By His death and resurrection and ascension to God's right hand, God the Son was made the Son of God. He was made both Lord and Christ. He is lifted up because He is now above every name, because He suffered death and rose again. No angel can be given the name Lord and Christ. This Son is superior to the angels. And then, to demonstrate this fact, the writer of Hebrews goes through seven Old Testament passages to show that the Son of God is the one who is in the highest place, even higher than the angels. He backs up his argument that this Son is greater than the angels through these seven verses. So let's look at them quickly and see what they have to say. Uh, Hebrews 1 verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my Son? Today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. He's quoting here Psalm 2 and 2 Samuel 7, Old Testament passages. And the kind of implied answer is, to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son? None. None of them. Ever. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. It never happened. This son is greater than any of the angels. And then, as we look through the accounts of the life of Jesus and we see at His baptism, that moment where He comes out of the water, a voice is heard. God spoke that day. Do you remember what He said? Mark 1, 11. You are my beloved Son. I take delight in you. Jesus is this Son. And at His resurrection, He has been given the name that is above every name that is greater even than the angels. Verses 6 and 7 show that even angels will worship this Son of God. Old Testament points forward to this Son of God will be worshipped by angels. Of course, He's greater than them. Verses 8 to 12, uh, we see that God calls this Son God. That this Son is actually called God. Literally, it's from Psalm 45. It says, Your throne, O God, will last forever. If you ever get some people knocking at your door and they're Jehovah's Witnesses and they're saying, oh, look, you know, we want to talk to you about the last days and the kingdom. and um, They believe that Jesus is not God. But here you see the writer of Hebrews applying this Old Testament passage from Psalm 45 that was talking David and saying for for David that that the son of David is is God. And it didn't mean that he would be God as in uh, the creator of the universe. But he, he takes that passage and applies it to this son to say he is the creator of the universe. Your throne, O God, the Hebrew is, El, is Elohim, which means God, will last forever. God says to this son, your throne, O God, will last forever. Here's the newsflash. Jesus is God. As you see the other characteristics about him here, you, you recognize that. That's why there can be no greater revelation of God, because as you meet Jesus, you meet God. Listen to how he applies Psalm 102. This is from verse 10 in Hebrews 1. In the beginning, Lord, you established the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like clothing. You will roll them up like a cloak, and they'll be changed like a robe. But you are the same, and your years will never end. This son is greater even than the creation he created. 
So of course he's, he's greater than the angels. He established the earth. The heavens are the works of this son's hand. And all those things will perish, but he will remain. They'll wear out like clothing, but he will roll them up like a cloak. Do you see? He's incomparable compared to anything or anyone else. Of course he's greater than these angels. He's eternal. He's everlasting. And then verse 13. Now to which of the angels has God ever said, sit at my right hand? until I make your enemies your footstool. What's important there is the line, sit at my right hand. To which of the angels had God ever said, sit at my right hand? None. Of all the angels, Gabriel was the most exalted. Have a look at um, Luke 1.19, if you want to kind of check out what happens there. Uh, He he was privileged, Gabriel was, uh, to stand in the presence of God. He got to stand in the presence of God. But no angel ever, not one, has ever been invited to sit before God. Never have they been allowed to sit down. They were standing in front of God. You don't sit in front of Him, you stand. But here, this son has been invited not to sit before Him, not even to stand before Him, but to sit beside Him on the throne. Try rocking up to Buckingham Palace, asking Queen Elizabeth, Hey, you reckon we can just get a picky with you and me on the throne together? I don't think it's going to go well. God has invited this son to sit on the throne with him. That has never happened to any other angel or person. There is no higher position than this son. And what's amazing is the writer of Hebrews is explaining that on the throne right now, wherever that is, a human son is seated. Flesh and blood, heart, brain, blood, lungs... There is a human who is in control of all things, sustaining all things. Right now, that is what is going on. And through that son, God has revealed his plan. He has spoken. What else do we need to know? What more can God reveal than God the Son, than this Son, who has been given the name above every name. It is impossible for God to reveal more of Himself and His plan than He's already done in Jesus, for it is finished. It's done. To want to know more information, to want to know more of God, more about His plan, more direction, more help than He has already given us in His Son, is to diminish the reality of who Jesus is. Do you see that? But we do it so often. God, just help me work out what color car to buy. Please, would you speak to me? Would you give me guidance in life? You're like, have you seen Jesus? Have you recognized who he is? What do you want me to do with my life, God? What should I do in this decision? And it's fine to to ask God for help and for wisdom, but God is like, I want you to serve my son who has been given the name above all names, who has offered purification for sins, in whom you see the the character and nature of me. What more do you need to know when you have seen Him? The radiance of God's glory, sustaining all things. Do you see how incredibly offensive it is to think that God is holding anything back from us when He has already given us His Son? In the past, God spoke through the prophets. 
But in these last days, he has spoken by a son. On that cross, as Jesus breathed his last, as he cried, It is finished. He had done the work that he came to do. He had pulled all the broken and fragmentary pieces of the way God had spoken in the past. He had spoken truly in the past, just not all of it. He pulled those together and showed us the fullness of God. Does God speak today? Yes! Loud and clear. He says this, have you seen Jesus? Each time you look at the role of the Spirit in the New Testament, look through the book of Acts and you see consistently, time after time, people are emboldened by the Spirit to go and speak. And they come and they stand. And what do they say? This Jesus whom you crucified, God made Lord and Christ. It's Peter, the first time that the Spirit, this is what he says. The Spirit, God uses to point us to Jesus, to recognize His majesty, to recognize who He is, and that in Him, God has spoken. You can't get any more than God, the Son. Just have a look through the New Testament time and time again. It's all about Jesus. Do you want God to speak into your life? You want to hear the voice of God. You want His direction and comfort and guidance. Then come listen to Jesus. For in Him you see the fullness of the plans and purposes of God. Hebrews 2 verse 1. Listen to how the writer concludes this part. We must, therefore... Pay even more attention to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. The first command in the book of Hebrews is this. Never, ever, ever ignore or diminish or reduce or reject what this passage says about the Son. Never. We must, therefore, pay even more attention for some of us here tonight, Jesus is just, he's just a blip on our radar of the things in life. He's one of the many things we juggle, one of the many parts that we kind of have in our lives. For some of us here, we're here checking out Christianity and seeing what it's about. I want you to see the writer of Hebrews is saying, you want to know what Christianity is about? You want to know what life is about? Then you must pay careful attention to Jesus. It's all about Him. So good on you, you're here doing the right thing. Keep looking to Jesus. But for others of us, we kind of go, yeah, yeah, I know. I know that Jesus is the center. I know that He's God the Son and He's the Son of God. And I know that He's on the throne. It's kind of news that we've heard for a while. And we're kind of like, yeah, and it becomes a bit complacent for us. But I ask you as I ask myself, is it? possible to recognize the radiant brilliance of God Himself in the Son and become complacent? I don't think it is. I think we diminish parts of Jesus. He's kind of important, but not that important. The writer of Hebrews is saying, you can't move on from Jesus. We must pay even more attention to Him. It must be what life is about, what we are about. 
The Christian life from start to finish is about being more and more and more captivated by Jesus, seeing how he changes the way we think about life, how he leads us in terms of the way to live and how to trust him. Recognizing the incredible majesty of who he is and what he's done is what life is about. Gazing and and meditating and dwelling and thinking through what he has done. What greater thing could there be than seeing this son who has died in our place and is offering us life? This Jesus is now the most important person in the universe. But the question for us as we dwell on this and hear the warning of the writer of Hebrews is, is he the most important person for you? In the way you think about life and what you live for and what matters, the things that are flying around your thought life and your actions, is Jesus on the throne of your life? He's on God's throne but is He on the throne of your life? What other things are fighting for your attention, eclipsing who this Jesus is, covering over His brilliance and glory and work? What is it for you? We must, therefore, pay even more attention to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. The warning here is real. It is possible to drift away from the brilliance of this sun. I've seen it. I've seen people who've walked away and gone, ah, it's just not for me. You've probably seen it too. It might be you right now. Now, I don't know one person of all the people that I know that have walked away from Jesus, I don't know one who woke up one day and went, you know what? I don't think I want to follow Jesus anymore. And just made one decision. So yeah, that's it. I, I, don't, I don't think he's legit. I'm out. I've just kind of... Every, yesterday, yep, 100% Jesus. Today, 100% nah, I get stuffed. Right? I don't know that anyone that has ever happened for. Every single person I know that has drifted from Jesus has been by 10,000 compromises. Compromise after compromise after compromise. Just small, seemingly harmless. You know cordoning off a little part of our life. I'll I'll let Jesus think about how He's the ruler of that part later. I kind of just want to keep doing it for a while. We kind of change our view of Jesus. Jesus couldn't have actually mean that when He says it. And we just minimize His authority. We just change what He thinks in a little decision after decision after decision. We, We just look at something in life, like our job or our relationships, and those relationships just pop up. And they grab our attention and we're like, there's nothing wrong with relationships or jobs or whatever it is that we enjoy. They're great. But we just become so enchanted with those things that Jesus slowly fades into the background. He hasn't gone away. We're drifting. Week by week, month by month, the temptation is to pull back from this picture of Jesus. So hear the warning of Hebrews. Look at verse 2 of chapter 2. 
For if the message spoken through angels was legally binding, and every transgression of disobedience received a just punishment, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Why the fascination with angels? Because the Old Testament, what God had said to these people, came through angels. And God spoke through them. And what He said was legally binding. When He brought them out of Egypt, man, God did amazing things. There's the plagues on all the Egyptians, and Israel was spared. They came out, and there was a pillar of cloud by, um, by day, and a pillar of fire by night. You're like, whoa, I would love God to be in my life like that. If He was in my life like that, man, I'd follow Him every day. He then splits the Red Sea, and they go through on dry ground. They turn around, and the Egyptians come through, and they get like swamped, taken out, dead. You're like, that's cool. And then they kind of get to Mount Sinai, and they hear the voice of God. And they disobeyed it. So much so that every single person, bar two in that generation, who didn't obey God, died. They did not get the salvation they were promised because they didn't listen to the message that came through these angels. God was speaking to them, and what He was saying was binding, and death resulted because they didn't listen. And so the writer of Hebrews says, if what Jesus has said now, is far more of God, is, has revealed God even more, is far greater, far superior than what was spoken through angels. Do you really think you will escape God's judgment if you ignore Him? Friends, there is no other way. There's no other way to have your sin before God dealt with. It's either you face God on your own and you suffer the consequences that you and I deserve for rejecting Him, or you come to Jesus. How do you think it will go if you walk away from the even greater Word of God? It will not go well. The consequences of walking away from Him are disastrous. To walk away from this son is to walk straight into the doors of hell. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. It is impossible to ignore or diminish or reduce or reject what this passage says about Jesus and escape hell. But if we take this passage seriously if we see Jesus as He really is, if we pay even more attention to what we have heard, we will not drift away. We'll be so captured by who He is that we will run to Him like a moth to light. We don't need a new word from God or a new direction for our lives. We need to pay careful attention to the word He has spoken. Will you do that? Where do you need to do that now? What is the areas, what are the areas in your life that are eclipsing who Jesus is? What I want to do, I want to give you a moment now, about a minute, to sit there and think. What we are talking about now is not just some ideal, it's not some philosophy, a nice way of thinking. It's the key to your future and mine. Do not drift away. What are the things right now that are causing you to eclipse Jesus. I'll give you a minute to think through that, to write down 
some things, and then we're going to pray.